0: Um, but, Jerry, thanks again, mate, for on the Crown of Command. I, I should introduce you formally. Um, yes. How rude of me not to. So, um, but I'm sure people have recognized your voice from on tabletop. Now, on tabletop, it used to be uh, the Beasts of War, and that's sort of, you know, you've got that very fun mm. logo, really awesome-looking logo, and I think the guys behind um, Beasts of War very tech-minded, I think, would be the mm. right way of putting it. They're really into their computers and graphics and stuff like that. So when Warren and his brother started that channel, and I'm thinking, wow, that's like 15 years ago or something. I saw Warren doing these really yeah. short you know, news in the hobby kind of reels he did on YouTube way, way, way back. And it was just awesome. Mm. It was so good. And it was really energetic. It was a lot, lot slimmer back then too, I might say. Well, um, I think we all were. Me too, included. But yeah, they were really entertaining, and that just gave this really nice sort of punchy, uh, very visually vibrant kind of. You know, they, they just knew their graphics. They just knew how to how to you know run the system, how to how to how to get how to get most people viewing this stuff. And I think they had a collaboration with Wayland Games back then, I think as well. Um, so yeah, that's going way back when that started. But then of course they changed the the name of their channel because of the algorithm or whatever very sensitive yeah people.
1: youtube's youtube's shadow ban on anybody with war in the title even people who were subscribed weren't getting notifications of videos going out
0: oh really yeah
1: yeah wow okay oh, god bless youtube yeah they do absolutely. nothing but good things
0: yeah yeah i won't say one bad thing about them I'm, I'm, i'll have to take all <laughs> the war out of Warhammer. what am i going to I call know. it now sponge hammer or something i don't know well
2: that's probably a good way to go
0: who knows? It's it's a, it's a crazy world out there, mate. So mm-hmm. I've I've given up on trying to this war on algorithms. I've just given up on it because there's, there's no way of getting around it.
1: There's there's no point. I find there are two people in the world: people who desperately, desperately want to hit as many as they can, and they'll constantly jump between projects and setups, trying to always stay on the crest of that wave. Uh, which is a full time job in itself. And then there are the people who go, you know what, I'm just gonna do the stuff that I want to do and algorithm be damned and it'll go where it goes. Yeah. And I think those are happier people.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Yep, I think so too. I think so too. You just gotta do it for if you really love and you're really passionate about what you're doing and you just you're, yeah, it's like part of your hobby, you know, you do it because mm-hmm. other people maybe enjoy it and they you get to correspond people online about the stuff that you're passionate about, which is really cool,
1: um, but. Yeah, I think that, that sorry, uh, sorry, okay. I'm, I'm just constantly breaking up your uh, introduction here. The, uh, <laughs> the thing about that is when you're passionate about something and you're engaging with the people who are watching your stuff, that comes across mm. uh, when when you're chasing, chasing numbers uh, and then you end up either treading on people's toes or not. Not coming at things from the direction people expect you to, uh, then they just end up uh, in salty internet arguments. Yeah, uh, like like poor Gary yesterday. I've been advised that uh, on on the artist formerly known as Twitter, Gary Chalk said something to the effect of, uh, "Oh, War uh, Games Workshop don't care about their lore; uh, it's just copy to sell miniatures," which sent the uh, the GW fanboys into connexions. On the internet. (laughs) So I'm assuming his inbox is blown up from all accounts.
0: Love you, Gary. (laughs) Gary Talk Absolute Legend, if anybody knows. If anybody's old enough or to remember Talisman second edition or Talisman First Edition, Mm. I think he did the cover for that as well. Um, yeah he's an amazing artist, game designer. He was there right from the beginning from Warhammer version one with Rick Priestley Mm -hmm. playtesting, you know, game developing, you know. So yeah. Um yeah, absolute legend so yeah but um yeah mate it's it's interesting how that's all developed but you know like i follow the guys on youtube that i really like and i i feel like a real genuine kind of guys you know what i mean who just do it mm. because they just got like a little camera and they just film stuff they're doing on their workbench i mean you know i don't need the flashy graphics i don't need all the you know you know kind of finger pointing you know the uh sort of trigger kind of um headlines oh, on that, oh kind of yeah Chee- cheesy clickbait headlines yeah, and thumbnails yeah. no i can do that then no i just want real genuine people talking about their hobby and stuff and it's just nice to listen to but no 100 percent. yeah but um mm-hmm. now you had it you had your own channel too and i actually found your channel but then you deleted
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and that's the second channel i've deleted i had a way 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 back in the day i had one um and, and it, it was more or less what you'd seen on, on that channel before it got nuked, uh, except more of it. So it was whatever I happened to be working on uh, any given time. Um, and I just got <laughs> fed up with it. Um, so it went the way they do. The other one, I only put videos on it so I could upload them into the project system. And then last week, YouTube went, uh, oh, you can't run this without an ad blocker. How oh, can I not, YouTube? I went, all right then. So I deleted the channel. And then went and subscribed to Spotify because I don't like being told what to do by YouTube. Ah, <laughs> I, I, I am that. I am that better of a man. Yes. Ah, but there that's... wasn't much on that. It was just a couple of videos. So
0: you can actually upload you, videos to
1: Spotify. You,
0: you can upload videos.
1: Then. No, 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 I can't. No, but I just go and listen to music on Spotify. I ah,
0: good. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good. Idea. Just, I, I, I um, use Spotify all the time. I think it's a great little thing. Yeah, it's great. Mm, so you've got bolt thrower on there. Bolt thrower. Bullthrower.
1: <laughs> which is uh I have a well, I had a bullthrower album. I think my brother stole that and, and ran off with it whenever he went to uni.
0: <laughs> well, it's a worthy prize to steal, I guess. It's something you know, yeah. noteworthy, noteworthy, I suppose. But yeah, but of course you're not just a YouTuber, you're a presenter of uh, on tabletop, but we'll get to that later, my but how did your how did your hobby origin start? Like what sort of triggered you into the Games Workshop hobby or just hobby in general?
1: Well, uh, we have to go hobby in general before we get into the Games Workshop. Hmm. Uh, so whenever I was a kid, um, I was down visiting family uh, in Dundalk in the, in the south of Ireland. Excuse me. And uh, I had a cousin who was probably about, oh, Jesus, Gary would have been 15 years older Uh, so I was very little sort of um, seven or eight Uh, and he was off at university in Dublin uh, and I was allowed when visiting his house to go and uh, nosy around his room just to keep me out from under the adult's feet and he had a shelf with miniatures on it and they always fascinated me and one summer he was actually home at the same time we were there uh, so I got a chance to ask him about it, and they were for D and D. And then he explained what role playing was, and so that really intrigued me. Uh, and uh, and he ended up giving me a, a stack of old, um, some old dragon and some old white dwarves, um, going back to the very early issues of White Dwarf when they still had a lot of RPG coverage. So you would get d and scenarios and Traveler and all sorts of things in it. Um, so I I went to Dungeons & Dragons very briefly via the medium of, of that magazine. I never really got the, the whole miniatures for role-playing. Um, I, never, I never went that way. Uh, but when we got back up home at one point, um, I managed to get my my parents to buy me Tunnels and Trolls, um, Ken St. Andres, mm-hmm. um, Fantasy RPG. And it was a tiny little yellow covered book. It was all ink drawings, and it was like an A5 stapled together, um, just a little flimsy thing. So I had the, the rule book, which cost all of the money, which meant I wasn't getting any miniatures. So we, we just played RPGs without, and there was nothing really in it about using miniatures in the same way where um, D&D sort of aimed at that way.
2: Mm.
1: So I started playing Tunnels and Trolls and then um, some of the other bits and pieces in the old White Wars sent me off in different directions. So it was like, oh, well, this looks interesting. And then with the launch of um, uh, Warfrap, it uh, was about the same time I started getting into RPGs and there was really only one, one shop in all of Northern Ireland that sold anything uh so every time we went to belfast up to the big city uh i would beg to be left there uh and i'm sure the owner joe was really really happy to see children being dropped off like a crash it wasn't quite as bad as as gw because very few people knew it it wasn't shiny uh the model the mother's nook it's called in, uh, in belfast and um it didn't really have the footfall and the wee backstreet that, that Games Workshop's aimed for. So so it wasn't just kids thrown in there because there was literally nothing to do. It was just a shop. You would wander around, you would browse. But every time I went up, I'd be very keen to see what new role-playing games he'd got. Uh, and I got got myself a copy of whatever fantasy role-play. Mm. Um, and about that time, I started looking at the miniature side. But that was for, specifically for gaming. Uh, so I got the Warhammer via the role playing and then into fantasy. Uh, and then I picked up in eighty seven I, I got um Rogue Trader, which is still sitting on my shelf and falling apart. Uh, so so yeah, I, I came in via the back door, not a usual sort of uh I found hero quest in a in a shop and, and went that way. I I snuck in via the medium of older older cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and that was that was the beginning of the end. I said <laughs> goodbye to all my money. That's it. Yeah, did and you, free time. Did
0: you did you experience a lot of Warhammer fancy roleplay? Did you actually have like sessions with large groups of people playing it, or how extensive was that? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh good.
1: Well, when I was younger, it was my brother who was younger than me, and therefore always available to be used as a a player. Uh, and then um, some I tried to recruit. the you know, friends that I played with locally, so the, the people I would play football with and that sort of thing. Uh, tried to get them involved um, to greater or lesser extent. You know, some of them would give it a go for a session or two or a couple of couple of months, then give it up as a bad job. Um, but then, whenever uh, I went to secondary school, so age of eleven, uh, I got a wider pool of people to draw on, and uh, they had a our B.D. club at the at the school there uh, allowed me to really get into that, and it was it was all ages. You'd walk in there, and there were sixth formers about to leave the the school, were playing alongside first years like myself, and sort of everywhere in between. So we would we would have a access to uh, oh the Irish teacher, what was his name, Mister Martin? You know, access to Mister Martin's room after school finished every Tuesday uh, until such time as we left or got thrown out by the caretaker. Uh, And that's when I really got into uh, role playing in a big way because you could always play games with my brother. I could always play a, you know, a a small game of Warhammer uh, or 40K or Blood Bowl, whatever happened to be. He was always available and you only need one opponent for a war game. So in some respects, it was easier for me to get a a game of of, uh, miniatures in rather than an actual RPG session. I managed to tandem the two quite well when I was younger.
0: What, what's your preferred sort of setting? Is it more, you know, D&D, Dragonlance, or uh, more Warhammer, sort of a grim, dark?
1: Oh, no, Warhammer. Warhammer, okay. Gotcha. Uh, Warhammer by far and away. My fa- well, my favourite um, setting of all time is Call of Cthulhu. Right. Absolutely love COC, love the cock, can't get enough of it. <laughs> Call of Cthulhu is yeah. it's amazing. And, again, it was – It was something games workshop sold in the uk and that's how i found it through white dwarf and the warfare has a lot of similarities to cthulhu it has insanity um there's those psychological things that will screw your character over and that was far more interesting and still is far more interesting to me than somebody who walks in like the book Bar- Barbarian Brothers and just, you know, punches God in the face and takes the loot. And you're going, well that's that's interesting. But really if you walked into a room uh, and there was a God there, would you not just actually just have a complete collapse? Um and and that that's why I really I really like the, the psychology side of of RPGs um and and trying to interact with that. Um because it's it's just far more interesting, and then every now and again somebody will license out some form of Cthulhu product to be made using D&D or fifth edition or whatever the fuck it's called these days. Pardon me for swearing. Um, <laughs> right. And and it's all and it's all how quickly can you get to max level? Uh, and then yeah. people are standing up. You know, I can I can do this, I can do that. And at, at no point should anybody in a Cthulhu game, or as far as I'm concerned, any. RPG, really. At no point should you be looking at a monster and thinking, I can have that really easily. Because then that kind of takes anything of interest away. um, If you're not actually playing a a character that can be hurt. It's like John Wick 4. I watched John Wick 4 recently. And for the last 90 minutes, he's just being shot and thrown out of windows and stabbed and beaten up. uh, And nothing can stop him. He becomes godlike. And at that point, I got really bored with that film. Yeah. Which is a shame, because I really like pick. Likewise, if uh, if you look at a monster and think, well, it's only X, D something stat, I can have up to Y, D something stat monsters without a problem. Then, you know, nobody should be starting up a shotgun against a Migo. Go mad and die. That's the best way.
0: Yes, yeah, so I, I listened to your review of John Wick 4 and uh, I haven't even got past mm-hmm. John Wick 2 yet because I think 2 was a bit of a, you know, it sort of dragged that out a lot as well. Too. I thought number 1 was fantastic yeah. and I, I think no. it's going to be very hard for them to live up to number 1.
1: Number 1 was Number One was tight, number 1 had, mm. was interesting. Uh, by the time we've hit 4, I, and I think I said this on the, the, the unofficial Hobby Hangout with Tim, Um I was I was skipping action to get to bits where people were talking, because the lore and the mistakes that they built up around their world, which clearly isn't our world, it's something very different. That's far more interesting than, uh, Keanu Reeves repeatedly punching things in the face, or flipping them over. Uh, actually, working out how their society works and how all the various clans and families interact—that's really interesting to me. Yeah. I've got more of that, please. Um, and yeah, as as episodes or chapters of that have gone on, there's been less of the talking, more of the punching. I think I said um, John Wick One uh, is is just about the same length as the second half fight scene in John Wick Four. <laughs> it's they're literally about ninety minutes long wow. each. Uh, it's just going. That's 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 one hell of an extended fight scene, and I really don't <laughs> care anymore.
0: For, for Hard action lovers, by the sound of things, uh, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. But uh, maybe John Wick RPG should be in the, in the works. Uh, you, could, you, could, I mean, you could. It's, it's up not or, beyond
1: the I have I have some friends who wrote some RPGs years yeah, ago yeah. Uh, when they were university. At, you know, small pub. There was a, a weird point in the early nineties where everybody was producing like indie RPGs, and they've got one um, based on a system they came up with called Stocks. So they had Stocks and then Stocks Light, which cut it right back to the bone, and then they did these little supplements, and there's one called Point Blank Redemption Through Violence, and it's based on the Hong Kong action, the the, the John Woo movies, Your God of Gamblers and Saviour of the Soul and uh, Better Tomorrow, and the things that sort of inspired both john weck and quentin tarantino to a certain extent mm. um and that so i mean uh, that's one of the reasons i want them just to talk more about the backstory tell, tell me more about how this gold coin system works uh, so i can just go and run john weck using point blank thanks thanks very much i'll <laughs> be happy
0: no you're right i think the warhammer role-playing system had an enormous rich sort of background lore, the supplements that came out for it the martin mckenna drawings Uh, The illustrations he did for a lot of the Mm. portraits and stuff like that were just incredible. Uh, I I just loved looking through the books. I I wasn't much of a role player, but I did enjoy the Warhammer first edition role play book because you had all these lists of careers and you you had to roll to see what career you had depending on what race you were and that kind of thing. Of course, being the dwarf, I'd always want to roll up the Troll Slayer. 'cause he's hmm. the coolest of all I didn't want to be like a, you know, a rat catcher or a shoe polisher or something like that or a tailor or whatever. But then, yeah, you know, I mean the,
1: wagon drivers weren't bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you had all these wonderful, yeah, sort of uh you know, that that I think that was just a massive departure from the, the D D experience where you were already like this established warrior or class or whatever. Yeah. You, you were just like just an ordinary, you know, Joe Blow type bloke or woman. And it was you you're just sort of Thrust into this quest um, by the GM, and, and on your way you went. So yeah, it's it's really nice to actually form your own character. I guess maybe
1: it's it's one of the really nice things—not about just about the system, um, but about their their take on it. The fact that there was a, a path progression like you would have in D D, where you were attempting to go up in the world, but you weren't just going. I will forever be a barbarian, and how many stats and feats can I unlock but you were you were progressing your story so you would start off as the lowest rung who had thrown their toys out of the pram and went I don't want to you know I don't don't want to collect dung at night anymore this is a terrible (laughs) job Uh, I want to go off and be an adventurer and went off to become an adventurer and then discovered it was a terrible thing and and your career would just change over time you go right well I'm no longer a, a dung collector. Now I'm a wagon driver. And then from a wagon driver, you might upgrade your life to being a carriage driver. and Then you think, you know what, a highwayman's life's for me. And, and it was just these little, it, it was a in, more interesting way of doing it. And because of that, we have a glut of books between sort of Warhammer fantasy role play and third edition fantasy battles that were cross compatible and they had a lot more interesting things in them than we see in more modern um, GW books, because they they weren't just catering to Space Marine chapter, here's your Space Marine codex. You got, uh, you know, I want to do the Chaos Gods. I need Lost in the Damned and Realms uh, or Slaves to Darkness. Uh, And they had bits for fantasy, bits for 40K, bits for the RPG. And, the books were just stuffed, filled with so much, Mm. uh, which is one of the reasons I'm actually glad that they've started reprinting some of the stuff. Obviously, the price is, you know, probably over the top, but there's a whole generation of people who have never seen these books, but have only ever heard of them and Mm. heard of old crusty bastards like myself Mm. wettering on about how great they were in the old days. And there's an often, you get a a rose-tinted view of things and then people finally watch the movie. You've been telling them for years that they should watch or read the book. And then they go, it's not actually that great. And you go back and you know, no, it's amazing. You're wrong. Um, and I hope that people get to experience things like uh, Rogue Trader, I think, is getting a reprint finally. Um, and there's so much in those books to explore. And so many little nuggets that are just gone from games workshops, uh, backstory and lore altogether. They've excised things over time as they become less uh, role-play based and more um, miniature side. So even people like uh, C7, um, Cubicle 7, reprinting the old warfare, uh books. So being able to get the
2: the uh, horned rat or the... Uh, the
1: Empire books. Um, yeah, you can, you two can live out your life in a terrible, terrible place, uh, and hope that you do well before you die or get eaten by something. Yeah. And never attend any any parties at court, because they're always filled with chaos cultists.
0: Yeah, well, the thing I love about the, especially the novels, and I suppose the role playing game, like especially a third edition, maybe the third edition role playing game, like Chaos was never seen. It was just like you know, maybe like talked about. In places, or you had this sort of insidious sort of idea of what this could be like, but you've never seen anything about it. And then, sort of, you sort of stumble across some cultists who are praying or preaching in some part of the old world. And and I love all that kind of thing. It wasn't just sort of thrust in your face. It was kind of like mm. very much, very much this this thing that was sort of uh, like a you know a very hidden part of the, the empire's uh, you know that sort of seeped into the empire and corrupted. Corrupted parts of the maybe the uh, aristocracy or whatever, and uh, it always had these wonderful twists and turns to the stories and that kind of thing, and the books and, and the lore and that kind of stuff, which which sort of changed later on.
1: Uh, yeah, 100%. You you had that, I mean, they would always add something in, and you weren't entirely certain sure where it was going to go, uh, and maybe it may be as. On face value, as decadent as they seem, or maybe they were some sort of weird Slaneshi cult. We really know until books down the line, or maybe never. They'd never. They'd leave up to the GM and his group as to how they explored those things. Um, I always remember the uh, the cult of the four armed Emperor that they introduced with, um, I think the oh Dark Angel storyline for the. so, what's their Terminator company called? Death Company? Death com- no, Wing company? That Deathwing. Yeah. The Death Wing story mm-hmm. where they had the, the cult of the, and the idea that that cult had arisen had grown up over time. It was just a new way of worshipping the emperor but the insidious underbelly was actually a Jean's theater cult had grown up and had subsumed the, uh, the, the empire right. on that uh, or the yeah. imperium on that world. That's right, and right. It was the same sort of thing in, in fantasy where you had... You know, you, you would see symbols sometimes or there, there's a couple of crossed arrows broken off and you're going, well, that's just a couple of crossed arrows. Or well, well, maybe it's some sort of chaos symbol. <laughs> Should I burn this place to the ground and kill ah. everybody inside? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> will, I get in, so will I get in trouble if I do it? Mm, that's borderline. That could go either way.
0: Yeah. Just <laughs> for the emperor,
1: <laughs>
0: mm, very much. So. Good, get you out of jail. But yeah, no, the, yeah. I really love the old, uh, especially the Road Trader. Yeah, that that Dark Angel, that side of Dark Angel, the Space Hulk, Deathwing, the Apache Indian style to their mm. names and
1: um, Weasel Fierce. Yeah. I will never forget Weasel Fierce as being one of the names of the guys. They all go back home after a hundred odd years, discover everything's gone wrong. And, and that seems to be being lost with every iteration. The, the more interesting parts of stories are being sort of pulled away to make it more generic or accessible to more people. So they just sort of tease out those things. Deathwing are still painted bone colour, but all of the, the tribal symbols that painted on their armour are gone. And now most people don't even go, well, they used to have black armor how come they're white now you know, well reasons all right okay i don't even think the something the modern deathwing the last time i seen them had any of the feathers or iconography on the models i think they just went for the bone armor uh, which is very dull everything's becoming sanitized
0: yes i know it's tragic yeah i know i, I actually modeled those onto some plastic, you know, the plastic terminators. I talked about this with uh, Marcel and Snakeworks mm. Studio last in the last episode, but yeah, I actually, I actually modelled all those onto with green stuff onto my uh, entry for Golden Demon many many years ago in Australia, and it sort of just got very much to sort of poo pooed because it's not it's not fitting the. You know the aesthetical canon now, yeah. or Dark Angels and Deathwing. This is, you know, this is old sort of style. This is not how we do it now, kind of thing. So <laughs> it's a shame because I love all it, that kind of it, thing. You know,
1: it is. It's a tragedy. It, it is. It, it sets a, It sets the worlds apart.
2: Hmm.
1: The the backstories that they have, and um, and the, uh, like we were saying earlier, um, the, the fact that they keep changing things that the the lore isn't maintained in a, a particular way because they need to be able to pivot if they want to change something to sell something. Uh so if it's not if it's not nailed down it can be easily adjusted. Um with every adjustment, you know, you lose something. People don't think I mean, Marines used to be you got uh if you've seen five on a on a planet, so that was amazing. Uh, and now mm. it's everybody and their dog has them. Yes. Death. <laughs> death really Legion of the Damned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still have my Centurion. In fact, I've got two Centurions Ooh. figures from, from uh, I think they called it Giant Day when they opened fifty stores. Ah, wow, the grand, um, the grand openings. Yeah, yeah. So, so when they had fifty stores, they released a Legion of the Damned sergeant called Centurion, and they released yeah. special rules for him, and they explained how the Legion of the Damned appeared, and then disappeared. Sometimes when people of the Imperium were sort of there their most uh, their most peril. They, this wreathed, bony, fiery Marine squad would appear, rip everything apart and then disappear. And, and only one figure had been seen more than once, a veteran sergeant, Kent Centurius, and then he made a model for him and then skipped forward 15 years and then they went, here's rules for running foliage in the damned armies and <sighs> including dreadnoughts. <laughs> no, no. It's, yeah. the, it's the, Uh, It's like the Mentor Legion. One of my first White Dwarves that I bought myself would have been, uh, I think, in 88. um, Had the Ultramarines on the front cover. Mm. And there was a bit about the Mentor Legion inside it. Um, And it was just like a two-page spread, a picture of the the chapter commander having his armour put on. And it explained that this Marine chapter was very specifically put together to test new arms and armament. They would go off to a planet somewhere. They would find an STC. They would come back and go, what's this do? And then hand over to the Mentor Legion and go, you can test this. And it was like the the commander, his name was something like Thrall. Um, He he apparently had a veto where if he looked at something, well, I think that's going to explode in our faces. We're not doing that. Um, But he never exercised uh, his veto ever he always did something and they had this rules for a five-man mentor legion squad and a special bolter setup called a targeting web. I think it was where you could shoot individually or everybody could shoot at one very pinpoint accurate spot because the targeting web would just pull all the focus onto one spot and it would give you massive like armor piercing bonus and strength bonus. Mm -hmm. And it was just a a neat way of fielding a weird little five-man squad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, mentor legion, well, here you go, we've we've got rid of the weird owl, which I really liked, uh, given it just like a raptor head, and uh, and it's just a green and white armor, uh, and otherwise they're just a regular spaceman chapter. Mm -hmm. That's no fun. They want a regular spaceman chapter. I want weird Mentor Legion squad attached to some bloody jungle army on a planet fighting because they want to test out some sort of strange weapon that they've they found in a back cupboard of a, a stone castle on a world that's been cut off for four hundred years and they have no idea what it's gonna do. So these five guys are gonna go over there. One guy's gonna stand on a hill with a pair of binoculars and watch and make notes in case it does go <laughs> badly wrong and oh it's gone critical. The sky's on fire. Time to leave this planet. You know, that's maybe that's just me.
0: Yeah it's funny we uh we had a a, a Warhammer tournament here in Japan on the weekend on Sunday night mm-hmm. that we had a few beers down at the pub kind of thing, and one of the younger guys, he's talking about tenth edition forty K and you know, he and I think he and a friend are playing it. And he mentioned that there are now twenty six factions, like as in Codexes or something like mm. that. And it's like, Really? I said, yeah. And I said, okay and one of the guys suggested, Okay, well let's have a bit of a drinking game. Let's 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 call out all the names of all the different codexes, all the different factions and if you if you can't say the faction, you've got to take a big swiggy beer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think we got. I think we did get to about. I think we got more than twenty six. I think we went from Rogue Trade all the way up to the current edition now, and it looks like they've just sort of segmented all the different um, marine uh, chapters into their own codex, and all the chaos, uh, different uh, god legions get their own codex, and you know so on and so forth. So it sort of they've really fractured everything, and splintered it off into their own sort of separate things. I suppose the Craft World for Eldar get their own ones as well, and. All that, but it's a good way of making money, I guess. You, know, you can sell lots of books yeah. and miniatures that way. So,
1: well, that's true. Mm. And there's a, its only a matter of time before the uh, the codexes get split into more but different codexes,
0: and they get replaced mm. with new codexes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's,
1: it's the circle of life.
0: That's it. That's
1: <laughs> what they tell me.
0: So, when when you played Rogue Trader, what was your preferred faction? What what uh, army did you start off with?
1: I started with the Imperial Army. Oh. It uh, wasn't the Imperial Guard in those days. It was the Imperial Army. Right. Uh, because sending... I was going to say dozens, but it wasn't dozens. Sending dozen of men towards their death, backed up with basemen. Uh Because, yes. you know, basemen were always good. The, the Imperial Army was just so much fun because it just had bits of everything. You, you want an ogren? Sure. You want some squats? Go right ahead. You want to throw some basemen in... in uh, into a a sci-fi game with nothing but swords well i'll tell you what the sergeant he can have a breastplate and a chainsword (laughs) (laughs) great fantastic i'll do all of that yeah Uh, and and then my brother would sit with the um there was a like a not a demonic entity space entity generating page and he would come up with weird weird monsters um that would just you know just put one thing on the table and just crawl around the place or float sometimes skinning men as they went uh, because it was just it's like how can we fight off this unusual encroaching terror brilliant okay often 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 we
2: didn't yeah yeah that's
0: cool that's great okay yeah I remember the beastmen being part of the imperial well uh, imperial forces or imperial guard back in those days Mm -hmm. um and it's really cool to see I I suppose they got they eradicated that later on and they just put them into chaos but um Yeah, you had a much more, very much more entertaining kind of list building experience, maybe back in the old days, where it's kind of just like the Wild West—you could just put anything in there that you liked. Um,
1: Yeah, Up humans were best because if they died, real humans didn't die. So, and that was the imperial (laughs) way. Um, People forget, Forty K was very much a, a fascist satire that the Imperium was the worst evil in that universe and ultimately still is the worst evil in that universe. Um, but people go, oh, space Marines, Push the boys for the Imperium. They're the good guys. Go, no. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> there was, there was, um, oh, there were two supplements for Rogue Trader the, that came out at a similar time, the, the Compendium and Companion. Mm. And I can't remember which one had the Grey Knights in it, but there was a great story about... An imperial planet. The final city was under siege from chaos, and the uh, the spaceports have been cut off. And they've got all the way up to the, the sort of the last bastion of the, the planetary defense force, the defenders. The planetary governor was there with his assistant, and it's mostly told through his assistant's point of view. And uh, and they've brought they've asked the, the chaos cultist leader to come in to negotiate terms and he's saying no all all they've managed to get reinforcement wise is like five space marines managed to get in earlier on today and we haven't seen them since Uh, and they finally arrive and they're negotiating surrender and the governor's going oh i'm sorry no not our surrender your surrender and the cult's going what Uh, and then they summon a, a bloodthirster into the the middle of the palace uh for want of a better word and then um the governor just looks up and goes, oh, bloodthaster! Oh, we are privileged. This is great. Uh, and then the five marines are Grey Knights, and they teleport in a full armour and just butcher everybody. It's like, well, we needed them in a confined space. We needed the leaders here who could do it, and we needed to pull out the demon who was controlling everything. Uh, and then the, uh, the governor turns around his assistant goes, but unfortunately, she don't rank highly enough to know that they even exist, and just puts a bolt through the back of his head. Uh-huh. And that's how the story ended, wow. the Grey Knights. What an assistant. Because the Imperium, just the worst,
0: wow. just the absolute worst. So the Imperial Agent is the system, eh? Very nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's mm. the way to do it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's cool. I like that story. Mm. I like that kind of thing.
1: Oh, it's, um, it's yeah. It was just so much fun. They, I think they had an awful lot of fun writing. I think so, too. Um, I think they had an awful lot of freedom. More interesting. Yeah, a lot of
0: freedom, I think, back in those days. Um, I was listening to Rick Priestley talk about it today, actually, on in, 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 in an interview on YouTube. Someone interviewed him about it. Oh, I've um,
1: seen that interview go up, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet.
0: Yeah, have, have a look but, at it, mate. It's really interesting. I've always yeah. liked talking to Rick, and I know a lot of that stuff. He's, he's talked about this many times now yeah. recently, but you know, he's talking about the development of Road Trader and one of the fantasy third edition and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and Brian Ansel was still part of the company. And I think he was—they were given a lot more leeway in what they could do, and they were sort of just left to their own devices as to what, you know, what happened, what they put in there, who was assigned to what, and and they basically—he said in his own words—were more like writers more than game developers. We just wrote a lot, Mm. and they developed, you know, a lot of the lore and stories and what have you. And it wasn't until recently that I realised that Rick Priestley actually penned in a few stories into. Um, what was it? Was it um, one of the? Was it Warhammer Siege? Um, mm. Yeah, he he wrote some short stories, and I think a lot of the guys did to fill up maybe pages of, to, to fill up page count. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, it? yeah,
1: yeah. I, don't, I mean, something that may have been just uh, an interesting story or a throwaway line forty years ago is now something that the entire world or universe is sort of hung off you know that uh, full-on modern players and fans go no that's so integral to the the lore that you can't change that part or that that has to that's that's the main crux of it you're going yeah but as somebody put it in because he thought it was funny like uh one of my favorite forces is the dogs of war i think mm. bar none it's probably both aesthetically um uh, and and how they set that army out for fantasy, right, right at the top for me. And you go through that, and every if there's, there's not a funny story, it's a funny name, like uh, Arsenal, the Elven uh, Lord on Dragon. Um, is first of all, his name's just Arsenal.
2: Arsenal, yeah.
1: <laughs> the 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 football team from London <laughs> yeah. uh, for people abroad. His colours were the Arsenal colours for the away strip. And wow. his battle cry was 1-0. Ah. And, the, and at that stage, uh, George Graham was the manager of Arsenal. And they used to get called Boring Arsenal. And Arsenal fans would just chant 1-0, 1-0 to the Arsenal. <laughs> because they would, they would score a goal and then nobody would be able to get past their defence. And that was it. They would, once they'd scored, they'd just sit back for the rest of the game and just soak up all the pressure. So I think Jervis Johnson might be an Arsenal fan. And so somebody put that in just to taunt him. So it was 1-0 to the Arsenal. Wow, um, that—I that. mean—that was good. part and parcel. It was
0: yeah. Absolutely hilarious. That's wonderful. I love that little nugget of. Uh, you know, mm. uh, and, and- I'm
1: sure there are more that I haven't found. I'll find them someday, mind you.
0: Yeah, I know. You, I know you're into your football because I know you mentioned it on the the, the, mm. the dude on YouTube. You talk a lot about football and probably watch football as yeah. you're talking.
1: <laughs> it annoys them very much when there's a match on at the same time. <laughs> Um, so, Tim and the rest of them have to suffer me going. And this project's really interesting because I really like what they've done with this scratch build. Oh my God!
2: Did you miss that?
1: Sorry. But yes. Uh, yeah. Much like Warhammer. You get? Much like Warhammer. I think you get in? I, sorry, I was going to
0: say, what much like Warhammer, I think football was much more entertaining back in the 90s than it is now. Yeah. In a lot of ways.
1: Oh, very much. Well, certainly in the past few years. Um, I, will to get into football because i'm sure that will bore the absolute <laughs> piss out of everyone um but yeah the past four years or so since they introduced VAR, yeah. where every for every five minutes you have to stop for 10 minutes to have a video replay at length about something and then start the game up again it's just it sucked all the life out of it
0: yeah,
1: i'll still watch bad. it mind you, you me know, too me
0: too
1: fish fish ask. bite oops. can't leave it
0: yeah <laughs> So let's let's go on to Warhammer then. So you, you um, mm. I, I take it you you discovered Warhammer Fantasy Battle. What particular edition did you pick that up at? Um,
1: I I was eventually gifted first edition, but I picked up my own copy at second. Right. Um. And I, th- I have a sneaking suspicion I picked up my own copy at second because it was reduced, and I think it was reduced because third was just about to hit. But I didn't know that at the time, and it was a little while before I caught up on the curve. Um, but after that, I went pretty much unbroken from second through to eighth. I'd say so oh. pretty much unbroken. It was unbroken. I have every rule set and pretty much most of the army books from second all the way through till they exploded my world.
0: Wow. <laughs> okay. Any particular edition that you favor the most?
2: <sighs> Probably fifth
1: um, although I, I swing between 5th and 3rd,
2: mm-hmm.
1: partly because 3rd has, obviously you can still play around with the um, uh, the realms uh, books when you're playing 3rd. But also, by, Well, I think post-5th, or even 5th is sort of borderline for some army books, um, you start to hit hero hammer in a big way after that. So 5th, 6th, seventh and then by by god by the time you hit eighth it's just hydro blades everywhere and uh and ridiculous heroes while i don't mind having heroes fighting it's always been the spectacle of big big units slamming into each other and fighting was far more interesting to me mm. uh, so like the dogs of war i mentioned earlier i have Unusually sized units, so I've got two units of sixty pike. I have you know two units of um cavalry that are both well one's fifteen strong one's twenty strong, and these are not unit sizes that you would ordinarily see in most games because they're too big and unwieldy, but I absolutely adore it's probably why i I like, slipped off and, and started doing a bit more historical stuff after that um but just if you could do something due to excess. I once ran a unit of seventy-eight ghouls, and I didn't wow. think it was too many in my uh, undead army. It's just, oh, I did some filthy stuff when I was a kid, and, and now, actually, as well, still do filthy stuff with <laughs> units. But, but there's a lot to be said about um, having a battle. It's I'm I'm very much the Ronnie Renton school of thought
2: mm.
1: when it comes to putting miniatures on the table. Um, If you're playing a grand mass battle of rank-and-file infantry, having little units of five men or ten men piddling around at the edges and you're going, well, that's that's a bit dull. Um, Maneuvering... But at the same time, I'm not a fan of Death Star units, you know, Here's a 2,000-point list, and then here is my 1,000-point unit where the front rank is all heroes. Actually, the front rank, but one, is all heroes, so you can take out some um, dammers as casualties. Um, I'd much rather have solid blocks, well-formed army, and just a lot of them, you know, here, well, there's 25 points for a magic item or 50 points for a magic item, and you go, that's four more men? That's, that's a rank. Give mm. me a rank. It will do the same amount of damage in the long run.
0: Yeah. Okay, mate. That's, an, that's a, well. You have you have got you got a dog's war army that's in excess of I don't know how many hundreds of models you have got in there. So, oh Christ! That's your retirement yeah. plan, mate. That's it. You got your retirement sorted out. <laughs> it worth an absolute bloody fortune, well, as you probably know. I, yeah.
1: I, I, every now and again, I do I, I Google the eBay prices and <laughs> bang them. Bing the eBay prices Uh, and it just brings a wry smile to my face when they're going £12 per uh, Cursed Company model. I've got a unit of 60, Victor Krueger and the Cursed Company, 60 of those and uh, and someday I'll base them. They're all painted, I've just never... I I, I fell out of playing uh, Warhammer Mm. with the, the group I was playing with and we moved on to doing sort of historic stuff for a long time mm. and I got part way through putting together units and just went oh I've I've painted and dipped all those undead, all the skeletons are dipped now I just need to mat them and base them or we'll base them and mat them and then they never got out of the box again um, so that's mm. a, that's something I have to get back to, if I don't sell them for my retirement I can just retire and paint them
0: Exactly, that's that's a much better idea I think and you so. have so many, basically, and you know they're not recast either; they're pure originals, man.
1: Oh god, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Because I was still, I was still in GW when those were released. Because I remember having to paint them for GW Belfast for the cabinet, right? Um, so, so staff discount. God bless you, staff discount. <laughs> 20 pounds for a kilogram of lead you say amazing and then they went up to 25 pounds you going, well this is still reasonable yeah. and then they changed from lead to white metal and it all became lighter <laughs> <was just> really <laughs> it. Better. Oh, oh stuff just kind of how how much i miss you
0: yeah mate so you you mentioned that you, you worked for games workshop for a period of time in belfast yeah. uh and you were there during the time the fifth edition when fifth edition was out is that right it was a bit later,
1: the the mists of time. I was there in 90, 97 ninety seven. I'm trying to remember. Okay, well you, what it, edition yeah. that was? So possibly was fifth post fifth. Yeah. I think it may have been sixth.
2: Right. Okay. So
1: everything, everything, yeah. everything blurs. Yeah, I know. After a while, it certainly does when I drink this much. But
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I was in there because I I was certainly there when uh, second edition forty k went to third that was one of the major releases Mm -hmm. so i I can't actually remember what edition of warhammer it was they just there looking over my shoulder so it was there for um started as a as a key timer when i went to uni yeah which is how a lot of people get in and then um, decided the university career i had picked for myself wasn't going to work out so i took a year out and any day now i plan on going back and sorting that (laughs) But uh, I will say applied biochemical science is not as easy as it sounds.
2: Um,
1: if, if you're going to pick that for university people, make sure you really want to. Um, so I ended up bouncing through the ranks in GW up to, um, I was manager, and they had multiple stores in Ireland at that stage. They peaked and then they receded like the crest of a wave because uh, we went from Belfast, Dublin, and then they opened Blanchardstown and Lisburn. And then Blanchardstown in Lisburn both closed subsequently. So I think Lisburn was only open for three or four years. It was a very short space of time. That was a big mistake on on head office's part at of that point. Um, but yeah, that was that was a fun peek behind the curtains.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, you joined at a pretty exciting time, uh, leading up mm. to the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Not the Hobbit. The Lord of the Rings release. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The Mid- oh. Middle Earth
1: Strategy Battle Game. That's the one.
0: Yeah. Never played it myself. Apparently. But yeah, I know I know it's pretty big for Games Workshop.
1: Weirdly, I have I have the GW Belfast store copy on my shelf because they sent it and I started painting the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I never returned the book before I left. <laughs> <laughs> so that that sure. is the copy that's on my shelf. Uh, <laughs> which was both a pre-release and and an original. It's it's not a bad game actually, although I'm not a huge it's weird. I'm a huge fantasy fan. I'm not a massive Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, and it's probably because I read Lord of the Rings and went, oh, story's good. His writing's not great. Yeah. His yeah. his writing it gets very wordy. Uh, it's like he's trying to rewrite Shakespeare or the Bible in places. So I, I very, very quickly fell out it. Films are good, um, but I never got into the game. But the game itself is solid. And I know this because while I haven't played a huge amount of Lord of the Rings, They span off Warhammer Historical Wild West game from it. So Legends of the Old West is is based on the the Middle Earth uh, battle game that they they produced for the film.
2: Okay, that's interesting.
1: That's a cracker.
2: Right.
1: Especially if you're into your Wild West. Warhammer Historical was a really, I mean, I feel it was a a sop to the the rules writer's, at GW. It was like, we want to do these. And then workshop went, well, we don't do historics. and it went, Well, but we wrote the rules and technically they're ours. And can't we? And they kind of just went, you know what, you can go and do Warhammer historical. That could be your little thing. It's over there. We will never talk about it or promote it. Uh, just get out of your system. And it was people like Jervis Johnson and, uh, John Stallard and the Perry's and, um, People like that who just went. Oh, I really like Napoleonic's or Ancients or whatever. And the the if people have never seen Warhammer Ancient Battles, it was an amazing system that was based on more or less sort of fourth edition, um, and that that got me into the, the historic gaming side mm. in a big way. Because I have most of this. I don't have Trafalgar because so I don't really care about boats, um, but I have a lot of the other Warhammer historic stuff. And when it started. If you wanted copies, the very first publication of Warhammer Ancient Battles, you would phone head office and would ask to be put through to either Jervis Johnson or the Perrys, who literally had boxes sitting in their office, wherever they were working. I'd like to buy a copy of Warhammer Ancient Battles, please, Alan. And then, you know sent check through and they would package it up and send it off because it was separate from you know we can't let the meal order trolls do this because this is getting in the way of their real job if you guys want to write it and sell it that's all on you it was so bizarre in a fanboy way yeah of 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 phoning up and and asking you know asking the writer, can i buy a copy of your book please
0: that's right i know it's a a completely separate thing and it's a bit of a Passion project, I think, for those guys because they yeah. can finally get back to their final, like, their roots of wargaming and do some historical stuff. Well, I actually played it and it wasn't a bad game. I painted 80 hairy, naked Germans uh, Nice. the ancients, yeah, for the ancient setting. And uh, yeah, I don't well, really want to we- paint another naked German ever again in my life, but I did play it and it wasn't a bad game. And yeah, it is based on the sort of early editions of Warhammer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons why i, I liked like to. As far as as far as ancient rule sets go, it still has a massive popular following behind it. Um, but I moved away as far as my own his his historic and ancient gaming went uh, into different directions. But it was a it was a nice foot in the door because there's always that there's the accessibility of Games workshop. Their games are everywhere. If people Google wargaming, it'll probably be right at the top.
2: Yeah
1: and then going, but I really want to do, I've, I've just watched Gladiator and I really want to do Romans against naked German barbarians. Yeah, How do I do that? And then you go, Romans against barbarian Warhammer, you know, ancient rule set, and pages upon page, you know, everybody has written one, and then you're left going, but which one's the best? Whereas, because Warhammer ancients just used the uh, the, sort of the early iterations of Warhammer, mm. apparently Warhammer itself was based on a, an ancient rule set that one of the guys had been tinkering with, what? and then had been fantasified. So Warhammer Ancients is kind of going full circle again. Um, but it, it meant you could go, well, here's a system I know, ergo I should be able to get into these um, these games quite easily.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So what what's on your hobby radar now? Like, what kind of games do you enjoy playing these days?
1: Um, I. Fantasy has always been my passion, Mm -hmm. Uh, and these days I mostly go Kings of War, Um, Mm. which will probably, I don't know if it'll upset people, but who cares? It was weird. Kings of War, Kings of War came around at a time when I was still, I was part of um, the Northern Wasters, who were a big fantasy, warmer fantasy battle tournament side from Northern Ireland they were also the Northern Ireland ETC team because there's not many people in Northern Ireland prepared to travel to play games so um I was always playing Warhammer and we'd hit 8th edition actually we were coming up to 8th edition being released we knew it was coming didn't know what it was going to be like and uh, my own little group it was like you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna buy everything I'll get every army book that comes out I'm not buying anymore after this. I don't care about ninth edition or anything else that appears. We're going to stop at eighth. And if eighth isn't doing it for us, then we can go back to one of the earlier ones. But mm. the four slash five year cycle of buying every book again is starting to annoy me. And and sometimes you're buying it for no real change. Sixth to seventh was, I think they changed three words and moved a. a a comma and replaced it with a full stop. Um, there wasn't really a massive change in it. Yeah. So you know, you're buying, you're buying a rule set for the sake of buying a rule set. So we, even before Eighth was launched and before they blew up the old world, that was going to be our stopping point. And then they blew up the world and was like, well, glad I, glad I did that now. Um, but then after a while, I was like, you know what, the Eighth the system wasn't working. Uh, older systems were better, but smaller footprint, smaller model count really. Um you had this this sort of expanding frontage, if you want to think of it like that, for Warhammer where first to third were very small forces, you know, fifty, sixty models. That was the sort of the, the style of the things. And then as time went on it went from that sort of fifty-ish models up to two to three hundred, you know, it was like how many models can you pack on half the points, increase the the model count. Um and so, for a while, I was running Warhammer armies, and then I'd picked up Mantic had just started, so I'd started picking up um, dwarves and undead for fantasy. So a lot of my early Mantic stuffs all individual base. Uh, and so I was pre-ordering things like dwarf berserkers and the like. So I was there before Kings of War was a thing, mm. and then they started putting in the little four-page: "Here's our little mini Kings of War rules that we think are coming," and then. Um, it was the very first Kickstarter I ever backed was Kings of War when they decided to release their first edition and we're looking for funding for that. Um, and as far as a mass battle game goes for fantasy, it does what I what I wanted the later editions of Warhammer to do, which is to have that grand scale, loads of figures on the table, but magic not be all-encompassing and heroes not be all-encompassing. The real fight is the fight of the armies and magic gives a little nudge here or heroes can support a unit but can't take off a unit by themselves. Um, so so at one stage I had two Dwarf armies, a Mantic one for Kings of War and a GW slash Mantic one for Warhammer. And likewise I had my undead, doubled, I doubled up on three armies and then I, I looked at myself at one point and went, why the fuck am I doing this? <laughs> Why am, I, why am I buying a painting two sets? I mean, theoretically, I can just play either or, or I can play one army in both. But I just, I, I wanted to keep them separate. At one point, you know, GW stuff stays with GW and Mantic stuff stays with Mantic. And I was like, you know what? This this game just works for me for pushing Pike forward and uh, slamming big blocks of, of cavalry the people. So I just went the... Uh, the way of, um, of Kings of War since then. Oh,
2: good to hear mate. And I'm are you happy. enjoying it
1: then.
2: that's
1: good. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. not to say I won't go back to Warhammer at some point because like I said I've stuck with that big dog to warmy me and I have a huge tub of uh, Marauder led Dark Elves including Dark Elf Witches mounted on Temple Dogs. Do you remember the Temple Dogs? Oh, remember when yeah. Foo were a thing? I'm sure that, that would probably be a tasty penny on the old Flea Bay as well. Oh.
0: bet so yeah i I was actually eyeing off some of the old marauder dark elves i still think it's the best range they ever made i was Mm. never a fan of the later um models for fourth edition but i think the third edition ones are just beautiful third edition are stunning and that's
1: it they're all stripped they're all original all they're all mine and they're sitting in a big tub waiting for me to come and Rescue them and, and put them on and prime them, and paint them up. And, I, yeah. and what I do is, by God, people will people will start to bask in the metallic green and metallic purples that I shall apply. My, my amethyst purple is still liquid in its pot. Shockingly, even after all these decades, so there'll be new there'll be new no, no modern techniques there, it'll Excellent. all be old exactly. school.
0: Good to hear. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Actually, you, you mentioned a couple of things. Kickstarter is it a curse or a blessing?
1: Um, do I want to give the mealy mouth both answer I think I may have I may have talked about this recently oh I think you have um, you've had it you've had it yeah, interesting yeah, things yeah, to say about yeah, it yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, well I'm not have been drinking for four hours so I'll stream myself on this one it's a it's a blessing for smaller companies yeah in that they, the thing Kickstarter does is twofold um, it tells you whether or not there is a uh Product that people want, and at the same time, it also promotes that product far beyond the reach that a lot of companies could do. Because even the, I think it's between ten and fifteen percent Kickstarter taking fees. Um, mm. Advertising-wise, that is not a drop in the ocean. If if a company go i've got a new game or a new miniatures range and i want to go and advertise it and they want to advertise it on base of war and daka daka and send it off to angry joe or ash at gorilla you know there are big prices behind those which people may not realize so being able to go it's going to cost five grand to make and they're going to take 10 percent of the fees or 15 percent of the fees but that the fact that Kickstarter will push that themselves and do the whole projects you love and that sort of thing. That's worth its weight in gold. Cannot devalue that at all. Wow. However, subsequent to that, um, in the past 10 years, and certainly in the past five, it's really changed into becoming a massive pre-ordering system and a massive pre-ordering system for some big, big companies. And they, they put it up as like a, a, a mark of honor. This made 3 million this made a quarter of a million in 15 minutes, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah.
1: And at that point, all I can think is, why are you on here? Why is CoolMoneyer not a website for reading people's paid jobs? Pushing Side yeah. 57 on there when there's uh, you know a small one-man operation who's been hand-sculpting some stuff and, and needs 300 quid to get the moulds made you know, and they can't get the light of day because all, all the oxygen's been sucked out of the room by these massive moths yeah. who really don't need it. And that, it's got to a point, and I think I mentioned this um, about dwarves. Yes. Yeah, Jamie yeah. Tranter, uh, he wants to do a second range of miniatures. He did a set of World War II 28 mil Polish, which are absolutely stunning. I have the full set. and am great for... Bold action players, any bold action players listening to this should go and have a look for Jamie Trunter's polls if you haven't seen them. They're fucking phenomenal. Um, but he has subsequently been attempting to get a set of 40-odd dwarves to Kickstarter for about three or four years now. Um, Brexit came in uh, when the sculptors sh- started sculpting them. There was no Brexit. Um, so he was due to ship them from spain to england that was going to be fine then brexit arrived the sculptor finished them sent them jamie ended up having to spend like two or three months worth of wages to get them out of customs because of the value of them because they now had to pay those so that delayed it and then and then he was going well there's some breakages i need to get them back to him to fix them and bring them back and and the idea is he's got a set of beautiful like 40 or 50 dwarf models with a very third fourth edition dwarf feel they, they look like Marauder dwarves from yeah, that period and they look absolutely gorgeous Amazing. and and he's going but I can't launch the Kickstarter until I've already got the molds made I've already got a professional painter to paint them I've got photography to, I've got this I've got this and going but at that stage what do you need the Kickstarter for? At that stage, the Kickstarter has just become a pre-order. What he should be doing is going, I've got these 40-odd miniatures done. Here's the greens. They look phenomenal. I need you to help me get them over the line. I need you to get the molds made and get the casts made and then shipped out to you. But that's not the way people see Kickstarter these days.
2: Mm.
1: If if you're not already 100% done, and have no reason to be there. People with super backer in brackets beside their name start getting into the comments and bitching, going, I expect to see the completely written rule set and playtests done uh, and a free PDF download of the rules that you want us to buy uh, in advance. Or I want to see that. And it's, it's this idea because big companies have come in and, and went, here's our stuff, our stuff's all done, ready to go. We just need you to buy it. essentially you know that's not what kickstarter was ever supposed to be and it's it's shifted the whole platform from being a collaboration to fund something to being a pre-order system to release something and that boils my piss
0: yeah 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 i even noticed that uh i think it was cool or not was it cool or not i think it was then they had that metal gear solid game and board game and they didn't even put mm. on Kickstarter, they just, they just had like a pre-order from their site directly mm. and the the, the the weird thing about it was, even though I was interested because I love the original Metal Gear Solid, is that you had mm. to pre-order it in order to get the, the, the Rex model, mm-hmm. so if you, didn't get, if you didn't pre-order it, you wouldn't get it in the set, which is just stupid, this is a stupid idea. I-
1: It's like Hasbro's HeroQuest with Hulse or whatever it is. So a lot of companies now have looked at Kickstarter and went, this is a great way of pre-ordering. And then eventually somebody at the top goes, but why are we paying them 15% to do this when we can do pre-orders on our own site and not pay anything? And all of a sudden, and, and God bless them, I really want Hasbro and Cool Mini or Not and everybody else to piss off and do the pre orders on their own site out of my yeah. way yeah. and let Kickstarter get back to helping small companies yeah. produce things yeah. that you ordinarily wouldn't see. Um, um, John Hodgson and uh, Annie Norman from Bad Squiddo recently did a set of um, background books, yes. sci fi and generic yeah, sort of fantasy too. and landscapes, yeah. free to put behind your minis when you're taking photographs of yeah, them. And they did funny. a physical and like uh, digital
2: yeah.
1: versions. Really small Kickstarter niche. I mean, at no point have I woke up in the morning and thought, "I really wish I had a digital sci-fi backdrop that I put my <laughs> miniatures behind." But having said that, and having seen what they've done, you go, that's a really good idea. I love that. I'm so glad to see it, um, and, and that's what I want to see more of: the the indies, the small companies uh, of which there are a myriad, actually get. A platform where they can produce something that they want to produce that might be beyond their means. Normally, um, I know uh, Fugu, Fugu, um, and Cornwall do absolutely stunning resin buildings, and they do little kickstarters every now and again for historic slash fantasy slash sci-fi and post-apocalyptic buildings, and they use Kickstarter in the platform. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's a real benefit to them. Uh, although I've still not got my brock yet. If you're listening to this, <laughs> I really want a brock. Um, but but that that's what, you know, you go on, you go, holy shit, there's a Celtic stone ring fort yeah. that can be also used for fantasy that Kev Adams has sculpted a goblin gate for. Go, Where has this been all my life? I didn't know I need one of these. Um, because I can use it for fantasy and i can use it for my historic gaming and i can stick some widgets and stuff on it and go it's kind of a weird star wars one as well because a lot of star wars is just you know widgets stuck onto old buildings it it does everything and and therefore i'm saving money by buying it and you can't tell me i'm wrong but it's those it's those companies i want to see on kickstarter mm. not the companies that not the companies that have got shareholders who are looking to work out how, how far they can stretch their dividends next year if they put another three zombie-side Kickstarters up. <laughs> and that is the end of my brand.
0: <laughs> Very well said there, Matt. I think I agree with you, Jerry. Actually, I think it's it should be there for you know the the small indie guys and women out there who are just trying to make something for themselves to share with other people who would be interested in in buying and backing their dream project. And um, mm. I think we should see more of that. But I did like that backdrop thing. I think that's a really good idea, actually, that Annie had. And I thought that was a really ingenious thing, actually, because we, we do mm. it sometimes. We paint the backdrops for our photo our photography and that kind of thing because we're sort of mm. old hammer and that's sort of the old hammer style. But I think that idea is a really good one because that way you can just flip a page and then you've got a new back, backdrop, you know. And I think it's a really nice yeah. idea. So things yeah, like it's
1: it's great. I mean, um, the artwork was done by uh, John Hodgson, who's done uh, art for a whole host of things. So uh, he's worked on Warhammer stuff for Cubicle Seven and Lord of the Rings stuff for them as well. I think he's mm. he's um he's a fantastic artist, uh, and he also has um, his his own little website called Handiwork.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's called Handiwork Games. Uh, where he has some really out there RPGs, which obviously takes one massive box for me, uh, and then also some historic RPGs based around Beowulf, and they have miniatures for Beowulf as well. Um, so you can play out the uh, the epic sagas, the old the old English sagas of Beowulf. Mm. Um, and so yeah, right there, little indie design company that will take all of that.
0: Wow. Okay. That's good, mate. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's good to see some of my friends who, you know, who have been, you know, passionate about things like confrontation, you know, releasing their own range of miniatures and that kind of thing. So it's really nice to see that being put on Kickstarter and people appreciating those kind of projects and picking up something Mm -hmm. very unique. And, you know, I I, I wish, uh, you know, those guys all the success and I hope those two individuals in their small companies who are those amazing dwarf sculpts actually get those on kickstarter somehow or some kind of crowdfunding platform where they can realize these and put them on the market and people can actually buy them and appreciate them and paint them and that kind of thing because there's some really wonderful stuff out there so yeah i think kickstarter should be utilised for those kind of projects
1: yeah the confrontation stuff is um is stonking and um confrontation is well we haven't got near it and uh yeah time is marching on i've no i've no idea how long you've got um so i don't <laughs> want to drag this too far but we
0: but... might want we'll to bring you back again jerry because i know you're a busy man mate and you have to go to work. yeah and
1: well, yeah, yeah yeah i will i will i will soon but uh
0: yeah yeah because um, we'll, because
1: to... confrontation is a whole other con-
0: that's I mean, another can of worms yeah. we'll have to open mm. up at some point <laughs> and delve into because i i as yeah. as, as listeners will know I do like that big R ah, Rackham and confrontation and everything it entails uh, because it's kind of the, it's old hammer. It's a French old hammer, really. That's what it is mm. to me. And uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we we won't have the conversation. We'll have, now. We'll have I'll have definitely be time. back to discuss confrontation. Yeah. I can tell you by the time I, I killed a company in Northern Ireland. You what? <laughs> uh, I, I killed a company in Northern Ireland. I, I can't say for 100% certain it was me, yeah. but I did. I did convince them to stock Confrontation and they got a lot of Confrontation in and it didn't go anywhere and then they they had a big sale on it and I bought it all and then shortly after they closed and uh, I mean, it can't have been just me obviously they must have had other issues there but I can't help but feel as I stripped the shelves of Confrontation miniatures that maybe he'd still be going if he'd just stuck with his 20 mil 172nd plastics that he'd been doing before
0: (laughs) but as far as i know for everybody he's talked about these you know these independent stores they're just owned mm. by these people who have probably retired and got lots of money and they just want to put miniatures in a, in a shop and sell them and they have no idea how to run a small business no, so yeah. that's probably how it ended yeah. mate yeah.
1: that's 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 what i'm going to assume happened nothing to do with me nothing to do with, you. Going, nothing to do with you you, really need, the you curse. really need to get this confrontation the with curse of confrontation
0: it lives on in, in mm. ireland as well but yeah. Uh hopefully oh, 100%. hopefully have some positive news about that. But there is a lot of positivity about that. But we'll talk about that mm. in another another um uh conversation where we can we ask you back, mate, at, at some point. Sure. Um hopefully with some other news about that, maybe some more new news about that. So who knows? Yeah,
1: yeah. Who knows what will happen in the future with confrontation.
0: Exactly. Well, Jerry, it's been an absolutely fascinating talk with you, mate. I really appreciate your time coming on to talk to me and, and the listeners can of course, listen to you, and and, uh, and I, I'm sure a lot of them know you already because of your, your connections with On Tabletop. And if people have don't know anything about you or never heard about you, I really insist they go and check out On Tabletop on YouTube and watch The Weekender because I always enjoy uh, listening to that, you guys talking about all the new releases and the indie of the week, which is my favourite part, actually. Mm-hmm. And it it's is your the best part. Yeah, I think I like that, and uh, I think people should go and check yeah. it out to see what other small businesses out there are creating for you, for your hobby, and it's really important we support these people out
1: there. 100%. Thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to bend everybody's ear. No I, I can't not. wait to come back. Oh, news I'd when love, that love
0: to have you back, mate. It'd be really nice. I really, like I said, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm sure we could talk about many other topics for many hours to come, but in the meantime, people check out the Sun Dude on YouTube Channel as well, where you can listen to Jerry every week talk about stuff as well. So they can catch you in two places, two different places, man. <laughs> poor, poor bastards. They <laughs> can't get enough of Jerry now, so that's good. All right, buddy. Well, take care of yourself Cheers, man. Until next time, take care. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.